We are in our second series this week, second week of the series, there we go, as we walk through Paul's letter to the church in Corinth, specifically the first letter that he wrote to the church in Corinth. So Paul wrote a lot of early church letters, right? Most of the writings that we have from Paul in our New Testament are actually letters that he wrote to specific people in specific communities at specific times, usually addressing specific things that they were facing as a body of believers. This early church in Corinth that Paul is writing to here in this letter that we're going to read a little bit of today is a church that Paul started in 50 AD, so about 50 years after the death of Jesus. And he's writing this letter to them just four years after he helped start this faith community. So I tell you that so that you understand, like we talked about last week, that this church is very young. And they are really still trying to figure out, along with everybody else, as these local churches begin to emerge, what it means to actually be a church, to be a group of believers who are seeking to follow Jesus, not alone, but together as one. We talked about last week how kind of the undercursor in this whole letter, especially the first one that Paul wrote to this church in Corinth, is division. They are deeply divided over just about everything that you could possibly think of. If you were just to kind of do a scan over the book of 1 Corinthians, you would see that they're divided about food, they're divided about politics, they're divided about worship practices, they're arguing about hairstyles and what that has to do with their faith, they're arguing about sacramental disagreements to do with the Lord's Supper and baptism and who can do that and who can't do that and what you have to do before you can do that. They're arguing about sexual ethics, that's a section in 1 Corinthians, all of these things and even more stuff that they just find themselves deeply divided over. And Paul throughout the book is desperately trying to pull them back together from afar as he writes them a letter reminding them not only of who they are but also who God is and how they can continue to be in community despite their differences. Last week, if you were here, you remember we looked at a section where, where Paul kind of calls the Corinthians out for dividing themselves into parties. It's a really familiar passage. If you remember it, it's like Paul's talking to them and he's saying, well, some of you say you follow Apollos and some of you say you follow Cephas and some of you say you follow me and yet even still some of you say you follow Christ. And we talked about how if we're honest with ourselves, we can see that as a parallel to the own political divisions that we place ourselves within. And Paul reminded them that the cross is something that they should not be trying to divide, but rather is something that they should be allowing to bind them together despite their differences. This week we're going to take a a second to look at how pride is dividing this church in Corinth. Corinth as, as a city, as a town, was rebuilt by Julius Caesar in 44 B.C., so about 100 years before Paul's influence and, and beginnings of this church happened. And it had grown to be one of the wealthiest cities in Greece. It was full of folks who had moved to Corinth specifically for the purpose of climbing that ladder within the city of trying to make their way to the top, to be the wealthiest and the most noble and the most wise. And Corinth was a good place 
to do that. So it shouldn't be a surprise that pride began to be an issue within the life of this local church. I want us to see how Paul addresses this. So we're still in the first chapter of 1 Corinthians, and we're going to read verses 26 through 31. Consider your own call, brothers and sisters. Not many of you were wise by human standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, things that are not, to abolish things that are, so that no one might boast in the presence of the Lord. In contrast, God is why you are in Jesus Christ, who became wisdom wisdom for us from God, and righteousness and sanctification and redemption. In order that as it is written, let no one, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. This is the word of God for you, the people of God. And we say together, thanks be to God. So that no one, no one might boast in the presence of God. The Corinthians had developed a pride problem. At the beginning of the passage, Paul has to remind them that when he was there with them in the beginning, when this local church was just coming together, when it was just getting started, that they were not wise. They were not powerful. They were not wealthy. They were not noble. They found themselves on the very bottom of that ladder that they were seeking to climb. And yet, God chose them anyway. They were nobodies, and God made them into somebodies. And in a sense, that's all of our stories, isn't it? They were none of those things that they sought to be, that they thought was important, but none of that ended up mattering. Because as Paul writes, as he's trying to remind them that God chose what was foolish in the world to shame the wise. And God chose what was weak in the world to shame the strong. And God chose what was low to abolish the systems that existed. And then we get that line, right? God did all of those things so that no one can boast in the presence of God. It seems to me, and the more that I read this passage this week, it it felt like the Corinthians had, had forgotten their roots, It was like they they forgot for a second that everything that they have is a gift from God. And in forgetting that, they found themselves turning to their pride, seeking power and influence and importance and control, probably not even just over their lives, but also over the lives of others. And so, of course, it begins to divide them and it begins to pull them apart their pride and their boasting and their growing egos, it would seem, right? Begin things that create dividers between themselves and their neighbor. And Paul desperately wants them to see that you can't boast about a gift. You can't boast about something that you didn't deserve in the first place. And it seems like he's trying to get it through their heads that there is really no room for pride in a walk with Jesus. 
And I think if we're honest with ourselves, we too forget the same thing, right? We forget. It's easy to forget that everything that we have is a gift from God. And I think when we forget that truth, it makes it a whole lot easier for us to begin to slowly but surely turn instead to our pride. My guess is that pride is a sin, that pride is something in our lives that we all struggle with to some capacity. It might look different for all of us because all of our work situations look different and family situations. I mean, right, we are a diverse group of folks, but my guess is that no matter where you find yourself in your life, and even when you look back over different stages of your life, that you can see yourself struggling with pride, struggling to remember that everything that we have, the only reason we have it is because it is a gift from God. And I am no different. The week of Christmas this year was a wild week for me. And I see some of you smirking because you know what happened on Christmas Eve. From start to finish, if I'm being honest with you, nothing really went to plan. Nothing went the way that I, that I drew it up in my head. If you remember, Christmas Eve fell on a Saturday this year, so it was already kind of funky, right? Because we have Sunday the next day. So that was already just a little weird. And then the Tuesday before, so the week of Christmas, that Tuesday before, I got the flu. And you can ask Madison that I'm a real big tough guy until I spike a fever. And then I turn into a huge wimp. So I went to the doctor. I got the medicine. I'm really thankful for that. But like Tuesday to Thursday, I was just kind of moping around the house, probably acting way sicker than I actually was. So uh, Friday rolls around. I managed to kind of wrap my head around a sermon and I feel like that's going to be okay. And then Saturday rolls around. And if you remember, Christmas Eve this year was like legit one of the coldest days that we have ever had, right? It was in the middle of this long cold snap. And if you come worship with us here in the chapel very often, you know that on really cold days, the chapel can ride just a little bit cold, right? You've all felt that. We've all kind of had cold toes during service before when the temp is like 20, 30 degrees outside. So I was thinking about that and I thought, you know what? I have the answer for this. So I came up to the church on Saturday on Christmas Eve at about 10 o'clock and I went ahead and cut the heat on thinking that surely it would give this space enough time to heat up so that everybody would come in on Christmas Eve and be nice and cozy as they worshiped with us to celebrate the coming of of Jesus. So I got back up to the church at about 1 o'clock because we had a 3 o'clock service in the sanctuary that I was in before our 5 o'clock service in here. And I think, you know what, I should probably just walk in the chapel, make sure the heat's working, reset that timer in the back to make sure it doesn't stop, put some slides in. I should just come in here and check on things. And I walked in that door and I could see my breath as I walked in. And I realized that like, okay, this is going to be a pretty big problem. And so long story short, on the coldest day of the year, on Christmas Eve, the heat broke in the chapel. And I was crushed. I was so upset. I was way more upset than I think I actually should have been. It felt like me and Davis had worked so hard on what we were going to do that night. And I was, I was really proud of what our service here was going to look like and, and what it was going to feel like. And to be honest, it just kind of felt like the rug had gotten pulled out from, from both of us. It was like we weren't even going to get the chance to, to do what we had been talking about doing 
for months. So we did a last minute pivot. Instead of having two different services at five, one in here and one in the sanctuary, we had just one big service at five. And everybody from the chapel just made their way into the big sanctuary. And looking back, it is really clear to me that the Spirit was working and moving in the sanctuary at at five. That there was just something about everyone being together on Christmas Eve. Everybody singing together, everybody praying together, everybody having a chance, not in two different spaces, but in one space. Everybody coming to the table together in one voice and in one body. I can see that when I look back. But in the moment, if I'm being totally honest with you, I think I, think I missed it. Even after the service was over and we had cleaned up and I had made my way home and Reed was asleep for his first Christmas Eve sleep and we were excited for Santa to come and see him the next day and we had family over at our house and we were, we were eating dinner together, I was still upset. I was just so frustrated that we didn't get the chance to have worship in here. I felt like it was going to be a big moment for us. I thought we were going to pack the chapel out. I thought we were going to all get the chance to sing together and pray together and come to the table together. And it felt like it was going to be the perfect way for us to end the year. A year where so many new families have joined this community. A year we've been able to baptize so many babies. A year that I've seen all of you grow in your faith. And it just felt like we didn't get the chance to do that. And to be honest, when I was at home that evening, I was kind of throwing a pity party. Kind of like when I had the flu, right? I was just kind of in my feels a little bit. And I just couldn't quite get over the hump. I couldn't put it behind me when I could look around and see that everybody else had. And I was talking to my sister-in-law about it. I was probably saying something whiny about how things didn't go planned as planned, right? Blah, blah, blah. Something that she had heard me say a few times. And, and she looked at me. And she quoted the phrase that I had preached in the sanctuary, the phrase that I kept going back to over and over again in my sermon. With a smile on her face, she looked at me and said, Ross, listen to your own sermon. Christ is born anyway. And that was the moment when I realized right there that the problem for me, it wasn't the heat in the chapel. The problem for me in that moment, it wasn't the fact that we didn't have the chance to have our big Christmas Eve worship celebration in here as the gathering. The problem wasn't that you didn't get the chance to sing with Davis in here. The problem wasn't that you had to go sit on pews in there that have cushions instead of sitting on pews in here that don't have cushions, right? None of those things were the problem. The problem for me was my pride. I realized that my pride was why I was so frustrated, why why I just couldn't seem to let it go when I had seen everybody else let it go, because I was so focused on on what what I wanted and what I thought I deserved and, and what I had planned and what I had prepared for and what I felt like I had missed out on that. And because of that, right, I, I completely missed what God was doing that night for us when we all came to worship together. And just like the Corinthians, my pride was putting me on an island. It was blinding me from what God was doing around me, and it was isolating me from the people around me. It was making me believe that what I wanted 
was more valuable than what God had provided. I think that's what our pride does for all of us. When we're really in the thick of it, it it convinces us that what we want is way more important than whatever it is that God has already provided. And when she said that, y'all, it was like the blinders fell off. And and suddenly I, I could see what Paul is trying to get the Corinthians to see here in our scripture for today. Because I, like the Corinthians, had completely forgotten my roots. I had completely forgotten that everything that I have, the only reason I have it is because it's a gift from God. And instead, I found myself turning to my pride and focusing on what I wanted and what I felt like I deserved rather than seeing and believing that everything that we have, everything in my life, the only reason I have it is because it is a gift from God. I had totally forgotten that you can't boast about something that you don't deserve in the first place. I don't know when the last time it was for you that you, you feel like pride really crept back into your life. Maybe it was last month. Maybe it was yesterday. Maybe it was this morning. I don't know. But whenever it was, I, I challenge you to own it. To, to just be willing to say, even if it's looking back, to just be willing to say that, yeah, that comment, that frustration, that reaction, I can see now that that was rooted in my own pride, my own vanity, my, my own plan, my own desire for control. I think when we own it, we can see with clarity that pride will divide us. That it divides us from God, but also that it divides us from our neighbor. Especially if it sticks around for long enough, right? The walls that we build with our pride just seem to get thicker and thicker and thicker, and then they become more and more difficult to break down and get through. But what I love about this scripture, and I don't know if you caught it the first time that we read it, is that it seems like Paul is also trying to get this church to see that there is a pride that won't divide. That there is a pride that won't pull you apart from your neighbor and won't separate you from God, but actually will bind you together. It's the last thing that Paul says to us in verse 31 of this passage. It says this, In order that, as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. When we see Paul phrase something like this and use the words as it is written or as it has been said before, it should tip us off that he is quoting another piece of scripture. And in this case, Paul is quoting the prophet Jeremiah. Paul is only directly quoting the first part of Jeremiah 9.24, but I want us to read 9.23 and 24 because I think when Paul quotes this, he's assuming that we have this whole passage in our minds and that we're pulling from it to understand what he's trying to get us to see. So let's read it. It's going to be up on the screen, Jeremiah 9.23 through 24. Thus says the Lord... And I'm sure you can see the parallel, right? You can see where, what Paul had read when he was writing this letter to this early church. Thus says the Lord, do not let the wise boast in their wisdom. Do not let the mighty boast in their might. Do not let the wealthy boast in their wealth. But let those who boast, boast in this, that they understand and know me, that I am the Lord. I act with steadfast love, justice, and righteousness in the earth, for in these things I delight 
says the Lord. When we boast in our own power, when we boast in our own wealth, in our own status, in our own desire, in our own wisdom, in our own might, when our pride leads us to focus on our own plan and fill us with the desire to control, it will divide us. It will divide us from our neighbor, and it will divide us from God and the plans that he has for our life. But, but when we boast, when we take pride in who God is, when we boast in what God has already done for us, when we boast in the many gifts and the blessings that God has given to us, when we boast and when we take pride in whatever it is that God is up to in our lives in this season, when we take pride in trusting God's plan for our life, for our own life, and also for our family's life, when we boast in the fact that we know God, that we know of his love, and we know of his justice, and and we know of his righteousness, when we boast in the Lord, it draws us into our community, and it allows us to grow deeper in our faith. I wonder when the last time was that you feel like you boasted about God. When when was the last time that you shared with someone what God is up to in your life just to take a moment and brag on God? I wonder when was the last time that you really took pride and boasted in the fact that you know that God is good, that, that you know that God is love, that you know of God's righteousness and of his justice. I wonder when the last time was that you told someone about a time that God showed up in your life and just boasted about that because you're so proud to be a follower of this God, a God who we can count on, a God whose promises still stand as we just sung about. I think that's my challenge for you this week. Not only that we would not be a people who are not turning to our own pride, but that we would be a people and we would be a church who are willing to boast in the Lord. That we would be a people who are willing to name it, right? And speak it and own it when our own pride gets in the way, when it divides us and when it blinds us. Because knowing that when we're willing to do that and we're willing to push that to the side, only then can we truly boast in the Lord. Only then can we truly brag about what it is that God is doing in our life and in our communities. Only then can we really tell our stories with humility because we know that nothing that we have is because of anything that we have done. It is only because of what God has blessed us with, and we are proud of that. My hope for us is that we would be a people whose pride and whose boasting wouldn't divide us, but instead it would draw us closer, not only to one another, but also to Christ. In the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Hey friends, I just wanted to take a moment and say thank you for tuning into our message this week in The Gathering. We hope you found it meaningful and life-giving. As always, you're invited to join us for worship on Sunday mornings at 10 a.m., either in person here in the chapel or online. If you want to know more about who we are at Bluff Park United Methodist Church, you're invited to check out our website. There you'll find out who we are, what we have going on, and how you can be a part of it. 
As always, friends, if there's anything that we can do for you, you're invited to reach out to us. We are here to help you and support you in any way that we can. We hope that you're having a great week, and we look forward to seeing you soon.